This is the Lightning Junkies podcast with your host, Chaz. On this episode of the podcast, we have Matt O'Dell and Jack Everett as co-hosts. And we're talking about high Bitcoin transaction fees and their effects on the Lightning Network. But I want to go ahead and welcome you guys to the podcast. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, good. Very good. Thanks for having me. Really happy to be here, Chaz. Good to hear your voice again. Well, I really appreciate you guys joining me on kind of short notice. We tried to do this last week, but I had to dip out, unfortunately, so I'm glad we're doing it now. You know, this is a kind of a weird show. It's probably going to be shorter, all that. But we're just going to jump in here. Two weeks ago, I guess you guys were having this conversation on Twitter about, you know, Breeze and Phoenix Wallet um, and a couple of these different Lightning wallets that were having uh, problems. Jack, how about you get us started about your experiences and what you're seeing in this in this subject? Yeah, so basically, from my perspective, I use the Lightning Network and try all the services that are available now. But also, I'm running Thunder Games, which is using the Lightning Network to pay out sats. And so I see whenever there's like the last time that I can't remember, Matt, when the last big fee spike was, was it like November or December or something? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. So the last time it happened, it was like a deluge of users contacting me with problems. When the Lightning Network had all these issues with the UX things in the other wallets, it kind of became my problem <laughs> with like all these thousands of people who are playing my game every day. From my perspective, there's been, you know, whenever it happens, like I don't feel like everyone else knows how bad it can, can be when you're trying to support scale up users. I think I just off the cuff saw the, the tweet what Matt put out and just said, yeah, like last time there was loads of problems and uh, like no one really does talk about it. I mean, I think, first of all, in general, it's easy for us to forget how early we are. And as a result of that, I mean, there really aren't that many people using Lightning on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, I, if I was going to say on a gut, I would say, you know, less than 20,000 people. Would you guys agree with me on that number? Maybe slightly higher, but... Yeah, I'd say 20 to 50. Yeah, same ballpark. Okay, but even conservatively, if, if we wanted to say 50K, that's still nobody, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So 50, let's say there's less than 50,000 people using it. Most Bitcoiners are like the buy and hold types, right? And they're, they're, just, they're just keeping their Bitcoin in cold storage and they're not, they're not spending it. Um, so a lot of talk, I think, about transaction fees for the average user just isn't really something that they, they think about. Definitely not in like a foresight type of way. So what happens is we have these fee spikes and both times recently, both fee spikes, whether that was in November or now, it kind of, it's been getting blamed on like the hash rate being pulled off for like rainy dry season in China for whatever that's worth. But my expectation is, and I think you guys would agree with me, is that on-chain fees are going to rise. Um, so these fee spikes, while short term, we're already seeing the fees kind of dive off here. Um, they're kind of a example of what's to come. And, and what we see in the Bitcoin land is, you know, not only do we not have as many people using it as people really think, we also have a tendency for people to try and gloss over problems. You know, uh, in Bitcoin, I think it's really important that people are adversarial thinkers, um, think outside of the box. And you just don't get like the kind of engagement and excitement talking about concerns and issues. But they need to be discussed and they need to be discussed ahead of time. Otherwise, we're going to have these kind of problems. And a perfect example was this last week 
Um, you know, Jack is talking about these kind of issues he has onboarding new users. And, and, and these users are people that like playing games, but they might not necessarily be, you know, very technical people. Um, and they like to use these user-friendly Lightning wallets because if anyone, I mean, this is the Lightning Junkies podcast, so I'm sure your listeners are aware, but once you start using Lightning, no one wants to transact on-chain. It's significantly better UX to transact using Lightning. Now, the problem with the UX is where it comes to managing channels and stuff. So what do we have? We have these mobile wallets that try and hide that complexity behind the scenes. But when we have these fees increase on chain, all of a sudden you start to see all these issues that are we're, we're behind the surface and kind of covered. And a perfect example was this last week, we had one of the top mobile wallets, user-friendly mobile wallets, Phoenix Wallet that just didn't allow users to open channels for the last week or so. They just today, for the first time in like a week and a half, you could actually use the wallet as a new user, right? Yeah, and that's what um, happened the first time the, the fee spiked with me. And I have to put my hands up here a little bit because I I don't really know how the Phoenix wallet was, well, I didn't then know how it was working. I didn't really research like how it could affect my business. So I just assumed that you could do microtransactions with their wallet. So they could, when the fee market was low, because a user could download the Phoenix wallet and it would behind the scenes open a channel for them. And then I could do my daily cash outs from my games, which would be like 10 sats to 1,000 sats or whatever. But then when the fee market got high, basically they said, no, you can't, we don't open any channels automatically unless the initial payment that's going to come in is uh, 10,000 sats or something. Like I don't, I never give away 10,000 sats. So all of the people who I'd recommended phoenix wallet too because in my game i have a walkthrough to help people download a wallet because i'm onboarding new people to bitcoin straight to lightning so i'm recommending different wallets for different types of people so i'd recommended like the phoenix wallet to perhaps like five thousand people or something then all of those people playing my games couldn't like cash out so you know my customer support was just clogged with people not cashing out and then i didn't really know what the problem was so I spent a couple of like development hours or, or like all day, like thinking like, why is Phoenix not working? Like debugging it, like going into my node and like, I mean, I learned a lot about the Lightning Network just doing that. But then I just, what I should have done is just message them straight away. And they told me the situation and they had a lot of people in their um, Telegram group, you know, giving that they had to give customer support to their users explaining this issue. So that kind of stopped me recommending it um, within the game directly because I wasn't sure how they were going to handle it the next time and I didn't want to have the same problem. Phoenix kind of uh, have to consider like the ripple effects of their design cho- design choices because it means that I necessarily don't, won't necessarily recommend their wallet until I am confident in it again and then they're missing out on like free user acquisition from, um, from my games. So Jack, what are you recommending now then? The moment uh, I recommend... A wallet of Satoshi because quite a lot of the users are like from South America and Africa and it's literally they're using Bitcoin for the first time kind of thing and one of the Satoshi is the sort of easiest one to onboard and they don't have any KYC unless you actually purchase with fiat in the, in the wallet um, so from that perspective is quite good and from my use case is simple, like hyper casual mobile games where which have a high turnover of users. They kind of play the game for a bit and then they kind of delete it. So I need a wallet that's going to be completely like download it and it's good to go sort of thing. Because any step that in that funnel 
will potentially mean they won't continue playing my game because they're like, I can't be bothered with this. If I'm going to jump in here really fast, not to talk badly about your choice there, but from the, you know, Fudsters perspective here, it sounds like you've gone to a custodial wallet because Lightning doesn't have the ability to handle your use case. No, yes, it does because it's custodial, but not custodial with me. You know, I don't use wallets, Toshi API or whatever, you know, I just use send people the, the their prizes non-custodially across the Lightning Network. So from that perspective, it's good. But the reason I picked it, like I said before, is because it was the easiest one to use and I felt like it was more applicable to my audience I'm aiming at. The other one, I do like Bree, I do like them all. And they're all recommended on my um, web pages and app store listings. But in the app, it actually recommends, it suggests Well of Satoshi but also has a link to all of the others or like the app store, which shows the other ones with the search. But Wallet of Satoshi still has issues as well. It's a great wallet, but um, one thing that happens with that is when the fees get high, they change their um, withdrawal to, you know, their fee for withdrawing to on-chain because it's like a fixed fee. And because my users are naive and they don't know what the hell's going on, they don't know the difference between the two, really. They kind of assume the wallet is my company and that I'm charging a crazy fee. And I get really bad reviews simply because the the fees in Wallet of Satoshi. So I get like all these one-star reviews in the App Store. And it's not even my fault. The whole situation seems kind of suboptimal. Like from the from the outside, if you didn't know all of these kind of nuances and details, you know, they're gonna take away the very plain, you know, side of things that Bitcoin's high fees are making the Lightning Network unusable. What do you guys think on this? First of all, you made a very good point about it being a custodial wallet. I mean, ideally, we don't want users using custodial wallets. Custodial wallets bring in third-party risk. Um, Third parties are security holes. Uh, They can take your funds. They can get hacked. Obviously, Jack's game has a built-in custodial wallet first, and then you're withdrawing to this other custodial wallet, which is kind of a cool concept, this idea of like interoperable custodial. Well, actually, I don't have a custodial wallet. Um, it's not even a wallet. So because the users win a prize, they're claiming the prize from me, so they don't actually... Instantly, you never hold a balance for them whatsoever. No, I don't hold a balance for them, but I hold a liability because I've said, oh, you've won a prize. Uh, it becomes yours when you request it. When you click withdraw. Yeah, you know, if we won the lottery, right. they could at any point they could go like, it's not your money anymore, you know? Okay, so, so it's maybe it's a little bit semantics, but that's a fair point. Yeah, yeah. But ideally, we want them to use, you know, wallets that are more self-sovereign, right? And this this is where the UX issue comes in. And we have very talented teams working on them. and the, And the most talented teams that are working on trying to solve this particular use case in a self-sovereign way are the these mobile wallets, right? And it's it's Phoenix, it's Breeze, it's Moon Wallet. Before I get there, I guess one of the main issues with the custodial wallets is like in a perfect world, we'd have all these competitive custodial wallets, but the regulators aren't cool with it. So I imagine that regulators are going to force them to add KYC. And the second they add KYC, um, there's going to be so much friction that they're not going to be useful to be used. It's fine as a stopgap option for for your users to be using a wallet as Satoshi, but we need to long term we need to move to a model where they're able to use in a cost efficient way and an easy to use way a self sovereign wallet. Now, 
The problem is that first to use lightning in a self-sovereign way, you need to open a channel and that channel has an on-chain fee burden. You know, you have to pay an on-chain fee and also for them to receive, we're talking in, in your particular use case, right? The, the user is coming right into lightning and they need to receive immediately. So they need inbound liquidity and that inbound liquidity obviously is, is being provided by the wallet provider, right? So they have to lock up a, an amount of funds, uh, which is not a free thing, right? That has its own cost to it. Um, so I, I think what we're seeing right now is a lot of these wallets to try and onboard users are eating those costs and they're not, they're, their model isn't a sustainable model. And that's something we see all throughout tech, right? This idea of you, you do a loss leader and you take a hit, but you go for user growth. And then in the future, you try and raise fees to a sustainable amount where you can monetize. And because of that, when these fees increase, the wallets are getting killed. Every time one of your users was doing this on Phoenix, they were losing more and more money. So as a result, instead of actually creating a more sustainable setup for themselves, they just stop people from using it. Um, so I, I think what we need to see here, and, and we will see it as fees continue to rise and we have these spikes, is these wallet devs are going to have to come up with more sustainable models, more transparent fee structures. Uh, so the user knows you know, what they're paying when they're paying it. In Jack's case specifically, like I think what kind of is going to happen is if we're talking about users onboarding directly onto Lightning, it's almost going to be like a credit relationship, right? Uh, in the beginning, a wallet like Phoenix will will take a risk and they'll take a risk and they'll basically provide a line of credit, which is that inbound liquidity channel on the expectation that enough users will get past the loan period and then get them to income, right? And where they can actually make money. They're almost like loaning them the liquidity in the beginning. Their expectation is they'll be able to monetize with the fees and and, and uh, basically pay down that credit and then monetize with, um, I mean, I, I'm not sure how they're going to monetize with just fees alone. I imagine there's going to be some like data analysis or something of what people are spending their money on or whatever. One thing to consider as well is one of the best user experiences I've seen so far is the Umbrel node. And how that works is like, when you turn it on and get it set up, you can use Bitcoin straight away because it uses, um, uh, is it a neutrino node, Matt? Yeah, I think it, it uses neutrino filters in the beginning. So like you have a, a semi-trusted environment, but you're able to get started right away while the chain is sinking in the background. Yeah, so maybe there's something that can be done like the custodial route is like whilst you're sort of learning, you, you get the custodial wallet. But then that wallet, as you learn more, you can unlock the features to turn it into a non-custodial, basically. So it's almost like they set up all your channels for you. And then when you're ready, you can kind of take possession of those channels. The problem, Jack, is you can do all these creative things if, if regulators allowed people to do custodial wallets. There's a reason we don't have custodial wallets, and it has nothing to do with market pressure uh, or what users demand. It has everything to do with regulators will force KYC on you. And if if you have a product with KYC, it's going to have way too much friction. It defeats like the beauty of, of Bitcoin's, you know, ease of use. Like what if Satoshi has no KYC and it's like available in every country? Jack, it's a ticking time bomb. It's just, yeah. it's just, you know, it's, it's not something that, I mean, look, if I'm proven wrong on this, that'd be fantastic, but it's not something that I think we can rely on. Yeah. So you, you really got to just cut out the custody out element completely. And I, but I, I do think, 
you know, there's there's always going to be a cost to transactions. That cost has to be paid by the user. And a user that's getting onboarded right in the beginning is not going to have funds to pay your fees. So you kind of just have to, you have to take a calculated risk that they're going to be able to pay fees, you know, two months in the future, three months in the future when they have more funds on your wallet. It's almost like you're, you're going to pay their like $30 fee to get them set up. But you know, over the lifetime they use your wallet, so they, your average user uses it for one year before deleting their wallet, you're going to make more than $30 in transaction fees from them. So then it becomes like just a um, user acquisition cost for your kind of lifetime value model where you're trying to make each user profitable. So you got your... Um, the cost of acquisition, which would be like your advertising costs or marketing costs, plus opening a channel. So that would just basically be bundled in on your sort of balance sheet with that subject matter, which is the acquisition cost. And then you've got to make sure that your business model is going to accommodate those fees that you've had to pay and the uh, marketing cost to acquire that user, which makes it even harder to monetize like if you consider your user acquisition cost isn't just $2 to get them to download your app by doing an advertisement, it's actually $52. Your business model's got to become like super profitable because it's costing you $52 to acquire a user, basically. If you eat the first channel opening, as you're kind of suggesting. Just to throw it out there really fast, um, as a quick little side note here um breeze i think as all of us know added their little podcast feature recently and they seem to be kind of monetizing through that they get a cut off of each podcast listening transaction or boost transaction and they also get a p or or the uh, podcast podcast index also gets a cut of it as well so that might be an alternative way to kind of move away from trying to profit off of transactions directly. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's a, it's important to realize a couple of things. First of all, all transactions have a cost. The question is who's paying for them. The second thing is we run into more of these issues at the lower amounts. With on-chain Bitcoin, your transaction fee is based on the amount of data that's hitting the chain, not the amount that's being sent. So channel opening for a million sats versus a channel opening for 50 Bitcoin is going to be the same fee. Um, all else equal. But on Lightning, the fee is based on the amount you send, not the amount of data you send, which is a uh, way better for lower fee payments. But the problem is that first channel open. Yeah, I, I, I think it makes it makes sense to me that there's, there's going to be this calculation where, where it's like, how much can I pay for this user acquisition cost in the beginning to make it work? But I don't think that necessarily needs to be centralized. We could see things like, Lightning Pool, which right now is obviously, you know, not very user friendly, but this idea where there's like a free market behind the scenes that plugs into the wallet, where there's actually like market makers that are trying to make that profit calculation. That kind of makes sense to me. You know, I mean, we're still, it's, it's so such early days with these things. Yeah, it is very early. And like when I bring up uh, any issues I've had, it's not like I'm complaining. I, I, it's definitely really early and most of these issues are sort of temporary. But Matt's right when he's saying we need to kind of be a bit more forward thinking and prepare. Like not, no one prepares. Everyone just gets <laughs> like caught out every time sort of thing, uh, like regular users. When we talk about like a lightning world, right? Like every time we hit the chain, it's going to cost so much fucking money. Like you just have to, we have to try and avoid hitting the chain as often as possible. 
And you really, it really becomes obvious when the fees go up in these fee spike situations. Yeah. So for like my Thunder Games node, I basically set up all my channels um, with not a huge balance, but a balance that was big enough that was going to tide me over for a year. But then also I would know that that balance is also going to grow every year. So the actual fiat value of that channel is going to get bigger. And then the idea is to just top it up over lightning in the kind of circular economy. So I'm trying to like only do the one like on-chain transaction for each of my kind of routes that I want to pay through. For me, I just needed to set it up to, you know, all the major wallets and um, a couple of kind of so-called lightning service providers. Then I don't have to worry. And it's kind of like that's the mentality I feel like users need to have with lightning is like a lightning channel isn't for Christmas. It's for life kind of thing. Like set one up as if it, you're going to look after it for a long time. And then you d- you don't get caught out and you can just kind of use these um, like the lightning pool or the there's some other services you can use to top up your, you know, your channels. And then you don't have to do any more on-chain fees. And then I'm not, I don't really like the lightning network is like paid by how much you're sending. I'm not really, I don't really understand why it's like that, but I, I don't pay very much because I've got enough channels to all the wallets where I basically, I think my fee is average fee is like 0.5 Satoshis or something, but that's quite high actually, considering my average payout is like 20 sats. That's quite a high fee. Well, with Lightning, you have two transaction fees that are set by the routing nodes, right? You have this base fee yeah, and then you have this variable fee that, that goes up per the amount you're sending. And that's a, that's a very different concept than on-chain. Is there a technical reason why? Uh, because because the scarcity isn't the chain. The scarcity is your liquidity in your channels. So each routing node is is basically in an efficient market. They should be pricing how much their liquidity is worth. So like my routing nodes that I run, I keep a very low base fee so I can keep your kind of use case practical, very small payments practical. But then I use a higher variable fee. So if someone tries to send, you know, like a, a million sat transaction, you know, $500 at current prices transaction through my liquidity, they're going to pay significantly more than percentage wise than if they, than if they send, you know, 10 cents worth, um, you know, if they, if they send hundred sats or 150 sats, um, I'm prioritizing for them. I'm prioritizing these, these smaller transactions because I'm, I'm pri- pricing my liquidity that way. I'm curious your thoughts, both of you guys, uh, like what, what if like a wallet was like a Phoenix wallet? type of situation or a breeze type of situation. And they were like, at startup, they were like, you can only start this wallet if you bring to the table 500,000 sats. Like you have to bring $250 at startup. And this is going to be your lifelong relationship with us. And then from that point on, you can receive microtransactions or low, low cost transactions. Is that a deal breaker? From my perspective, I'll jump in really fast. It seems like a bit of a deal breaker for most of the people likely to be using a wallet like this. I think, you know, for for us, I, I think we're already so deep down the rabbit hole. Like we could find 500,000 sats. We could find a million sats pretty easily, I think, and put it in there and, you know, Bob's your uncle and we're done. I think for most people that I would want to onboard, I can't imagine that being an easy sell. Like right now, I'm I'm imagining my friend who's been kind of with me on the Bitcoin journey since 2013, but has also been kind of talking shit about all the wallets and everything I've ever shown him ever. Because <laughs> like he's just not he's not in it. He, he does something else and he's fine, whatever. But 
Like I think about being like, hey, bro, can you, you know, drop 500 bucks into this app really fast? And he's going to be like, no, go away. I have other stuff to do. And I imagine that's the majority of how people that are curious but don't have the conviction yet are going to respond. Yeah, I think um, just to be on the opposite side of that, I would say personally, I would I think that was quite a good idea. I'd imagine it being like you setting up like buying a gift card kind of thing. You get your your Bitcoin wallet and you just you have to deposit the money to kind of initialize it. So it's almost like buying a gift card and then you you send it like five hundred dollars and then the the wallet does some magic and and gives you inbound and outbound liquidity. And then I think then as long as you can set that up using any kind of payment method, I don't think it's too much effort to expect someone to pay, like to send some money to it. Like I, I recently, um, well, not recently, a few months ago, downloaded Bottle Pay here in the UK. You can't do anything with it unless you put some money on it. Uh, well, you could receive some stuff, I guess. But I, so I just, you know, immediately sent a hundred quid to it, hundred pounds, just to like send some other people some money. It wasn't like any. UX problem for me to just do that. The cool part about Lightning to me is that it's this open system, right? So we're going to see like a lot of different models. The wallet teams will, will, you know, fight each other in the market over those models. This particular model is kind of what we see right now with like an umbral or like a fully self-sovereign node, right? Where you need to bring money to the table to open a channel to begin with, but there would be no channel management. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think my response to this is if we're if we're going to go to an absolutely new user, you know, I'm standing here and then maybe Colin, the Bitcoin cash guy, is standing next to me and we're both trying to pitch this person on experience alone. I, I don't know how the, you know, load up your wallet for five hundred dollars versus here. Here's a dollar of Bitcoin cash and you're done kind of thing. It's not that I'm sitting here cheerleading Bitcoin cash or think it's a good idea overall. Um, but the, the baseline experience, you know, similar to a, uh, custodial lightning wallet are deceivingly good. You know what I mean? So how can you, how can you compete with that when you're saying, well, you, you need to have all this conviction. You need to take $500, which may or may not be a lot of money for the person and put it in here. I I think for most people that aren't already sold on Bitcoin, it's going to be harder to get there in my kind of opinion here. Well, I mean, so this is, I agree a hundred percent, but this is really the debate and the conversation that has been going on in Bitcoin land since the beginning before lightning. Um, and it's this idea that, you know, censorship resistance is always going to be more expensive decentralization distribute distribution will always be more expensive the value that we get out of it is that we're able to use these wallets in a relatively frictionless way uh, with no kyc if the powers that be allow custodial wallets to exist allow a centralized bitcoin cash to exist without kyc allow a central like we're seeing it right now happening in ethland right where eth went more centralized than bitcoin but then Binance released their copycat chain that's even more centralized and has even less fees than Ethereum, right? And if, if, if the powers that be don't squash those options, don't squash the options that are more centralized by basically adding KYC to them, people don't realize like how big of a friction KYC is. I mean, Jack mentioned bottle pay. 
KYC destroyed their business model. They had to completely pivot to like an on-ramp because if, if you're trying to talk about like easy frictionless social media payments and the person has to like upload their passport and shit and you get stuck in jurisdictions, right? You're not allowed to open in certain jurisdictions. So I, I think a lot of this stuff is going to play out where it's going to take a little bit of time and regulators always move slowly. You know, it took them what McAfee was like pumping every ICO and shitcoin under the sun for like years. And it took them like four or five years to take them down. And when that happens, the the value prop of of maybe these a little bit, you know, more expensive options that aren't as user friendly becomes apparent because, you know, the natural end goal of something like Bitcoin Cash, which I think is a complete trash project, is if it ever kind of got any kind of real usage, which it doesn't have, you would see fees rise. They would they would attempt to lower fees by increasing centralization, which is the main trade off. The the more centralized a project is, um, the less fees, which is what we see in Lightning Land with the custodial wallets. And they would do that to the point where at some point a regulator is going to hit them, and because they're centralized, they're not going to be able to fight back, and they're going to have to add KYC. And that's what we're going to see, you know, with the centralized altcoins, and that's what we're going to see with the the centralized custodial wallets. In my opinion, it's just when does that happen? I, I think I, I, I agree with you at the end of the day, like maybe not just with the, the specific wallet idea, um, but I do, I do think the idea of, you know, I, I argue on Twitter a lot sometimes and something that I hear from people is, well, we have to account for opening and closing channels, but the idea of closing channels, I think for people that actually use Lightning, like like actively, they don't really close channels that often, you know, only when they really, really need to because it's offline for an extended period or something like that, but not because they need to reclaim their Bitcoin or anything kind of naive like that. And so if we were to actually educate people and get them to understand the uh, the trade-offs in that sense, I would agree with you, but I unfortunately it's how do you how do you overcome the easiness factor? Um, you know, like like you were just mentioning, Ethereum is kind of losing in the short term to uh, Binance whatever chain people generally don't care people generally aren't these bitcoin people that have that care about censorship resistance and all this other stuff they just want to make money and move on for the most part i mean i my point here is is that's 100% right um but if we if wallet satoshi is allowed to operate as a custodial wallet um without kyc then new users are going to gravitate to that. And not only new users, you know, I had I had two very technical proficient users, NVK and Ketominer on, on my show, Citadel Dispatch, this week. And they both admitted that their main lightning wallet is Wallet of Satoshi because it's just easy to use, right? Super easy UX. If they don't get forced to add KYC, then that's fantastic. We're going to just have a world of competitive custodial wallets that are all competing on UX and fees they're forced to add KYC, then you're going to have a user who's trying to enter the lightning economy, right? And they're going to be in a situation. Do I use this custodial wallet that needs me to upload my my driver's license and my passport and all this, uh, you know, valuable private information? Um, or do I use the wallet that maybe has a little bit worse UX, has a higher upfront cost? You know, maybe I have to put $250 worth in to start, 
rather than use the KYC wallet. And then all of a sudden it becomes more competitive, right? But if, if the custodial wallets are, are allowed to use no KYC, then we're just going to have a world of interoperable custodial wallets, which isn't the worst thing in the world. Okay, so we're kind of reaching the end of the time that I had allotted, but I had one more question to kind of address this subject generally. So um, would you guys agree that we have not hit the same fee level that we had in December of 2017? I don't think we hit it yet. Close enough for it to become uh, like an issue. We didn't even have Lightning in 2017, right? Right. Um, we barely had Segwit. I think I'm, I'm, you know, I don't really believe hardcore in the stock to flow model, but I do believe, you know, in a, in a Mac, in a general view, I believe in the cycles. And I think we're entering this, this bull cycle, this cyclical bull cycle. We're going to have a ton of retail users come in. We're going to have a ton of demand come in. A ton of money is going to pour into the system. And fees are going to go up significantly higher than we see. And, and, and they're going to be sustained. You know, the, the only time we've seen really, they've been fee spikes we've seen. We've seen like murmurs, like tremors. But there's going to be a time in the near future towards the end of this cycle where we're going to have a super sustained high fee environment and users aren't going to be able to just wait it out because they weren't ready. Uh, so that is really my ultimate concern. My concern is, you know, when we have like a couple months in a row where, where it's just like really, really high fees. Right. Like this is something that's come up on the podcast since I started it is that um, well, one, Bitcoin itself is not going to stay at, you know, uh, one sat per V-byte. Obviously, I haven't had that for a little while anyway. But then beyond that, you're going to have this situation that we have with Phoenix Wallet and Breeze, but intensified, you know, so maybe that's my last question here. Let's assume that fees are sustained, you know, maybe 10x from where they are now. You know, how does that affect the Lightning Network, you know, are are people being forced to basically think ahead at that point? How do things look like? Do you guys think? Um, yeah, so that's gonna that is gonna cause a significant amount of friction for the non-custodial wallets and for the and for the custodial wallets because, like I said at the start, even the custodial wallets have UX problem, which is when a user wants to transfer it to their like hardware wallet or something. They get hit with a massive fee and they're just, it just caught like I get most of my one star reviews on my games are people complaining about a wallet, <laughs> independent wallet to me's fees. So it's still a problem for, for those guys. So if it's always high, I mean, it's going to force people into the kind of circular economy of lightning, but there needs to be a reason for people to want to use it because it's going to become like, why do I want to like Matt's suggestion of, having a wallet that you have to preload with $500, like people are going to be like, why do I want to, why have I got to do that? Why? And just not do it, you know? And then Bitcoin just becomes this kind of like literally like gold that you can't really, well, you can use it if you're willing to learn and willing to make the upfront investment. But most people, uh, I, I would suggest are not going to do that unless they've got like a massive incentive. I, I think it's important to realize why transaction fees exist in Bitcoin in the first place on chain transaction fees. And that's because nodes uh, around the world being operated um, have bandwidth costs. And all this data that's, that's hitting the chain needs to be broadcast and received by all of these different nodes. It's important that we keep that cost 
accessible. We keep it down uh, because if 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 it gets if it gets too expensive to use your own node and run your own node, we're going to have less nodes and it's going to become more centralized. And then if it becomes more centralized, then we're going to get regulated and and it's going to get regulated on chain, where to a point where you have to use KYC to use it on chain, and that's destroys the whole fundamental value prop of the system. That's why transaction fees exist. Transaction fees are a market-based way, a, a proper free market-based way to be efficient on-chain. And what I think is going to happen is people are going to get burned and they're going to learn very expensive lessons about being more efficient on-chain. That's going to be both users, but also mostly going to be operators of these different wallets, exchanges, services, every kind of project in the space. Ultimately, what I expect is a future where most users will only hit the chain twice. They'll hit the chain for saving, for, for long-term savings, you know, family wealth that they want to save for decades. And they'll hit the chain for the first time they enter the system. Sometimes that will be paid by whatever project brings them in. You know, if, if, Jack, if Jack wants to bring in new users, it's going to be part of his user acquisition cost. That, that he's going to have to stomach this cost in the beginning and expect to make more from them in the future, or it's going to be from the individual user. And what we'll probably see is we'll see a mix of both. But most people, it'll be an extreme luxury to hit the chain. And most people are going to try and avoid it at all costs because it will cost them a significant amount of money. All right. I think we're going to go ahead and end the show there. Do you both you guys want to go ahead and let the listeners know how they can find you on the interweb and shell anything you might want to shell? Uh, yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Jack Everett. And uh, you can check out my gaming project, Thunder Games, T-H-N-D-R Games. And that's on Twitter as well. Chaz, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's an honor as always. I love, I love your show. I'm a listener um, and I'm glad to be a repeat guest. I look forward to be on again. My name is Matt Odell. You can find me on Twitter, Matt underscore Odell. MattOdell.com has all my links, resources, guides, and you know, all those all those great stuff all on Bitcoin. Um, I do two shows a week, Rabbit Hole Recap, which is Tales from the Crypt. That's TFTC.io and Citadel Dispatch, which you can find at CitadelDispatch.com or you can just search Citadel Dispatch in your favorite podcast app. Well, perfect, guys. I appreciate you both joining me on this particular subject. I'm going to show really fast as well here and let our listeners know that they can support the podcast by listening to us on Breeze. You can listen to us on Sphinx Chat. Um, and you can also support us by going to lightningjunkies.net forward slash support. But for now, I will see you kids on the Lightning Network. <laughs> <laughs>